have a series right now that we're talking about, and it's called Walking on Water, where we're addressing faith. So I'm going to invite you to turn to the story that we've been sort of combing through in this series, Matthew 14. Matthew chapter 14. If you didn't have a, bring a Bible with you, there should be one right there in front of you. If there's not, chances are someone took it with them home because that's what we say. We invite all of you. If you don't have a Bible at home, take the one in front of you. Take it home. We'd love for each person to have a Bible. Matthew chapter 14. The story begins on, at verse 22. And we're not going to be going through the whole thing. We're going to stop at verse 31 and specifically concentrate on verses 30 and 31. So uh, Matthew 14, starting with verse 22 up to 31. It says this. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but by this time the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came, he being Jesus, came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you out on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on water, and came toward Jesus. And this is what we're going to focus on here, verse 30. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So a couple of weeks ago, we had a picnic event as a church. We went to Colby Park in Wycliffe and we had a pool and picnic party. We had some sharing of food and fellowship, some games And then we got to go to the pool. And I knew that I was going to run into a problem once we got to the pool area because at that pool, there's a giant water slide. A couple of uh, weeks, maybe a month before that, early in the summer, we went on vacation. We happened to be at a water park uh, one particular day. And there was a little water slide. And my six-year-old son had this sort of back and forth experience of fear and courage with this little water slide. He wanted to go on the water slide. He saw all the kids going down the water slide and he just, he wanted to do it, but he was afraid. And so he would climb up and then go back down and climb up and and go back down. He would cry and he'd be afraid and all of that. He'd even get inside the little tube ready to go and then he'd back out. But by the end of the, the day, he mustered up enough courage and he went down the water slot. He said, yeah, that was great. And I thought, I know, I told you. And, he, and, he, and then he pointed over to the big water slot. He's like, but you're never gonna make me go on that. I said, okay, I'm not, I'm not gonna press the issue. Well, uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was one of those big water slots. He said, dad, I really wanna go up on that water slide. I said, okay, let's go. So we took a couple of steps 
you know, up, up, the, up the steps. And it's something about fear. It's really funny. I, to me, it, sometimes it affects the knees first. And so he starts climbing and he gets wobbly, you know, like, no. And he starts crying, you know, and he starts going back and he goes through back and forth, back and forth. So at some point, I just get frustrated. I said, okay, now quit trying, okay? It's just, it's just done. Let's, don't ruin the whole, the whole night. But he kept at it. He finally made his way to the top platform. He still wouldn't go down the, the slide, but he sat with the, with the lifeguard, and they talked a little bit, and finally he went down, and of course, it was so exhilarating. It was so fun. Guess what he did the rest of the night? <laughs> Up and down that water slide. Uh, this series is about faith, and last week, as sort of a mini introduction or sort of an overview of this idea of faith, I talked about how this series isn't so much about the faith in terms of all the things that we need to believe to be a part of the Christian faith, like all the creeds and the doctrines and all of that. Sometimes we think about, about it in that way. But really about our faith, like the ebb and the flow of faith, that sometimes on the Christian journey we're filled with faith, and sometimes on the Christian journey we feel our faith decreasing. And last week, I dropped a little bit of a bomb on some of you and confessed that, that I had been struggling with my faith. And I gotta tell you, it, it wasn't the best message I ever delivered and best sermon that I ever gave, but it might have been the most important one because I'd rather give a bad sermon and be honest than, than nothing at all. And some of you wrote to me and, and, and spoke to me with such grace and kindness and encouragement said you were praying for me. And I appreciate that. Because you know, sometimes there, there are times, and, and this isn't just a pastor thing, but maybe those of us that have proclaimed the name Christian, that we, we've stood on, on that, we've you know, signed on the bottom line, we said we are a Christian. And that, that, that declaration means something. And it leads us into a particular life. And in so doing, it creates a pressure sometimes that we, have to, we feel like we have to have these certain things or we have to have it all together. Well, I'm a Christian, I can't do this. Or I can't struggle with this, I can't question this. And we convince ourselves, we trap ourselves into this, um, into this idea that we have to constantly be at the top of our game when it comes to the, the Christian walk. And what we're, what we're learning about in this story is that, that, that that's not really true. That faith is not just about, it's not about having it all together. That there is a journey of faith that's filled with all kinds of struggles and questions and, 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 and wrestling. And there are times when we feel like we're on the mountaintop and we're walking on water. And there are times, as we'll soon kind of see with, with Peter, we feel like we're sinking and we're drowning and we, we just don't know what to do. Faith is not this sort of black and white type of experience. There's um, times when we're filled with great faith and times when we feel like we're losing it. And we're all still Christians. <laughs> it doesn't mean you've disavowed your faith, but we wrestle with it at the same time. So this has a lot to do also then with fear. Fear has a big component, is a big component when it comes to understanding faith. Because fear 
often, at least I'll speak out of my own experience, fear often uh, takes up the space that faith might leave behind. That if we find ourselves growing in fear, we find ourselves struggling in faith. And if we find ourselves growing in faith, we find ourselves diminishing in fear. Fear and faith, uh, as sort of, as an obvious statement, are oppositional to one another. An old Scottish theologian, he said it this way, he said, faith, which is trust, and this is Alexander McLaren, faith, which is trust, and fear are opposite poles. If a man has the one, he can scarcely have the other in vigorous operation. He that has his trust set upon God does not need to dread anything except the weakening or the paralyzing of that trust. They're oppositional characteristics, oppositional figures, but occupying the same amount of space. And as we journey on in faith, we find ourselves also interacting with fear to varying degrees. Fear, as an opposition, has a big role when we look at this subject of of faith. And so it's not this sort of, uh, do you have faith or don't you have faith? At least what I would speak out of my own story is, it's kind of like a tug of war. That here I am, I have claimed the name Christian. I have said, I am going to follow Jesus. But I find myself in a tension where times faith is winning the day. Faith continues to win more ground. But then there are times, seasons even, when fear begins to creep up and take more ground, more ground that faith used to or ought to occupy. So we live in that, in that tension. And what I want to do is be a part of a church that creates safe space for us to also live within that tension. To not necessarily be a part of a congregation that expects perfect people to have all the perfect answers all the time. But that we can be honest to be a part of a faith community, to be truly honest, to say, I'm struggling with this, I'm wrestling with this, and I need people alongside of me to guide me along as Jesus calls us closer and closer to himself. We need that kind of community. And I have friends that have left church or left the faith because they didn't have that kind of community. We need to have that, that freedom to live within that tension, trusting that also God is present and God knows what he's doing. So let's go to our story and we look specifically at the beginning of verse 30 in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, starting with verse 30. It says, as Peter is walking on the water, mind you, let's not forget that, As Peter is at the height of success of faith, he just got done with a spiritual retreat. He just got done with church camp. (laughs) And he forgot that he had to go home and go to school. He is on a spiritual high note. He's at the height of his success of faith. He's walking on water. A A man, a human, walking on water. And then it says this, But, hate those buts. 
but when he noticed the strong wind. When he noticed the strong wind. Wind is an interesting metaphor in scripture. It often characterizes something that is against us. The work of the evil one, the adversary, Satan, who works against us. And that makes a lot of sense because the wind is an uncontrollable force. The wind is something that that comes and goes as it pleases. We can't manufacture it. We can't generate it. It exists. The wind is something that, in large part, is out of our control. And especially true in the ancient context, especially for sailors who would go out to sea. But what's interesting about the metaphor of wind is that it's also a metaphor for God's spirit, for the Holy Spirit. But it is the metaphor of the spirit precisely for the same reason, that we can't control the spirit. The spirit comes and goes as it pleases. It's not something we can manufacture or control or wield for our own desires. It is something bigger and greater. It's a force bigger and greater than us. If you can flip over to John chapter uh, 3, verse 8, it describes this very thing of the spirit. John chapter three, verse eight. It won't be on the screen, but if you don't have a Bible, you can hear it. It says, the wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. So the same characterization of the spirit, a force that we can't, control or manipulate for our own purposes is the same one for our troubles, for our difficulties. That no matter how much we plan, no matter how much we uh, schedule, no no matter how much we attempt to avoid struggles and difficulties in life, they always come unannounced, don't they? It doesn't matter how good of a person you are. It doesn't matter um, how much you have safeguarded from from difficulties. It doesn't matter what you remove yourself from or gravitate towards in your life and how you've structured your life. These things come unannounced. Struggles, diseases, difficulties, job losses, hardships, pain, even death. The uncontrollable wind is a metaphor for life because we can't control our lives, certainly not as much as we think we can. Many times life happens to us and we're caught unaware and we're left wondering, what did I do wrong? Where, Where did I go wrong in all of this? We all face a life, we all live a life that we ultimately can't control despite our best efforts. And it's these fearful circumstances, these fearful events, despite not having planned for them, when they arrive, they occupy all of our attention. (laughs) They take up all of our brain space. We stay up at night sometimes thinking about these things that cause us to be afraid. There's actually a neurological connection between fear 
and the attention to the things that cause fear. This is especially true uh, in uh, development, child uh, development, but it's also true in a lot of different ways. Isn't it the negative things that seem to occupy our minds and our brain space? How many of you have said to yourself, boy, I just wish that there was more positive news? Like, when you sit down at five or six or seven, you watch the news for half an hour, don't you sometimes wish, wow, I guess, I wish there, I know there's more positive stuff out there. Why do we keep hearing about the negative? Well, it's because you secretly want to watch the negative. And that's what the research shows. There was a recent one done by McGill University in, in Canada where they heard all of their participants in their, in their study, told them that they wished that there was more positive news out there in social media and, and TV. But when they tracked their eye movement and when they ran their study, they found that each person was gravitating more towards the negative, towards the sensational, the thing that would seek and grasp for their attention. That's what the circumstances, these fear-inducing circumstances do to us, don't they? They demand our attention. They call for our eye movement, for our focus. And suddenly we just find ourselves, that's all we can think about. That's all that keeps us up at night. That's all we can focus on is the negative, is the fear that, that we have. And sometimes it's so distracting that we don't even see what's going on in, in our own in our own hearts, in our own selves. Like, we can focus on what's going on with all of you, the rest of you, and even ignore what's really happening here. If you uh, would turn with me back to Matthew chapter seven, Jesus is addressing the crowd and perhaps paying attention to some of these uh, Pharisees. <clears throat> and in seven verse three, he says, why do you see, why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Sometimes we're so fixated on the negativity around us and what's wrong with those around us that we forget that sometimes we're part of the problem, that we also have something going on inside. And Peter was distracted by the strong wind and failed to notice that his attention, his eyes had been taken off of Jesus. He failed to notice what was happening in that moment, that, that through faith, by jumping out of the boat, he was walking on water. He failed to notice all of that anymore and was suddenly focusing on all of his troubles, on all of his difficulties. And it's, so it's no surprise that, that Peter, Peter's lack of focus results in him starting to sink, starting to sink. The sea, the chaos, the, 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 the circumstances, the, the fearful circumstances of life began to swallow him up. And any of you who have actually had a panic attack might know a little bit about this. Some of you that have experienced physiological effects to fear and worry and anxiety know a little bit about this. 
How you feel so out of control that fear has taken over so, to such a degree that you feel like it is completely around you, has surrounded you, enveloped you, overwhelmed you, and you just don't know, you just don't know what to do anymore. Now, some of you may not have experienced fear in that way, but my guess is that fear drives your, your, your behavior in some way. That when you get up in the morning, that you begin to plan or you begin to schedule, you begin to run your life as a result of what you're afraid of. That fear can dictate what you do, who you talk to, who you remove yourself from. Fear can establish and drive all of that. Fear has those real life effects in our everyday life, whether we notice it or whether we don't. That's the, the power that fear has. Once, when I was a missionary in Haiti, um, there were some things that happened, a few break-ins where, where I was, and some, I'd say, dramatic or traumatic experiences that I kind of navigated, I went through, and a couple years later, when I was back into the States, you know, I'd forgotten about all those things that had happened to me, but suddenly I found myself waking up in the middle of the night, trembling, crippled with fear. Like I had this physiological response to fear that I didn't know where it was coming from or, or why it was happening or what was triggering it or anything like that. I was completely subjected to fear and I began to understand maybe what some of you struggle with or, or deal with, perhaps on a regular basis, when fear begins to really take over and cripple us and overwhelm us. And so Peter's response now is so critical, and it's such a small, a small thing, and it's easy to miss in this scripture. But in, in, cha- in, in chapter 14, verse 30, Peter is distracted, and he begins to sink. And so his response is, is just so important here. It says here that he cried out. He cried out, and he said, Lord, save me. He cried out, Lord, save me. This simple, desperate prayer has everything, to, listen to this, has everything to do with faith. Now some of you might say, well yeah, he waited until he was sinking to, to cry out that prayer. And uh, 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 critics of Christianity would say, well, religion's just a crutch for needy people. I say, yeah. When have, you not, when have you not been needy? When have you not stood in need? When have you not stood dependent on other forces, other things, just to get through life? When have you not stood in need? This prayer of Peter is so important because it gives an avenue of faith for people that find themselves drowning that find themselves sinking and covered and swallowed up by the chaos of their lives. And for those of us that find ourselves walking on water, we too often forget this prayer. Lord, save me. Save me. And if you're like me, sometimes when you think you know it all, you like to inform God of how he can solve my issue. Right? We like to pray in our own answers to our requests. 
We like to give him the lists of, well, and here's how you can take care of this. Thank you very much. We don't like this, 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 this difficult, uh, open-ended prayer. Lord, save me. We like to list all of the ways in which the Lord can, can save me. I'm going through this problem. This is how you can handle it, Lord. And yet that prayer is so filled with faith. Lord, save me. One of my favorite authors of a book just simply called Prayer by an old Dutch theologian named Ole Hallisby. He said, that, he said, your helplessness is your best prayer. Your helplessness is your best prayer. Sometimes that's all we got is Lord save me. Lord help. Sometimes that's all we can muster up. Lord help. Sometimes it's just enough courage to have faith enough to say, Lord, save me from this circumstance, from this situation. Lord, save me. Scripture offers all kinds of different kinds of prayers that say, Lord, save me. It's a prayer called the lament. And actually, there's a whole book dedicated to the lament. We find it littered everywhere throughout the Bible. Real people going through real situations in the, in the, in the reality and the authenticity and the, in the rawness of their own emotion just saying, God, do something here. If you want to quickly turn, you can find uh, an example of this in Psalm chapter 44. Psalm chapter 44, starting with verse 23. And it says, it says, Rouse yourself. Why do you sleep, O Lord? Awake, do not cast us off forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For we sink down to the dust. Interesting language. For we sink down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. This is a faith-filled prayer and a prayer that we all too often neglect. Maybe out of a sense of pride, we think we can handle it. Or, all right, I'm I'm not gonna bother God with this one. Maybe it's because we're so unsure and we can't handle what would happen next. It takes great faith to regularly offer up this small and powerful prayer. Lord, save me. Just do what you're going to do. Do what you're going to do. That's why um, we have our, we're, we've organized this event tonight called Pursue. Pastor Steve and I have just gotten this sense that we really feel like there's something next that God has for us as a congregation. I don't, I don't know what that is, but we've just been feeling it build. And that's why Pastor Steve's been working so hard on this restructuring, reorganizing. Some of you are like kind of bored with that stuff, but we, we just want to be positioned so that we can be faithful to whatever the Holy Spirit might be calling us as a congregation to do or, or where we are to, to go. And so... We can make these plans. We can do all of this and have these discussions and and just sort of go for it and say, God, here we go. You can endorse what we're doing. But 
I can't imagine going any further without just crying out to God, say, God, move in our midst. I don't know what it's going to be, but God, move. Do something incredible in our midst. We are wholly, entirely yours to work with. So isn't it interesting that in this desperate prayer, in this desperate prayer, we, we find something that's, that's not mentioned uh, in the, the Bible, but it's, it's kind of implied, and that is that, G, that Peter suddenly refocused his eyes on Jesus. <laughs> that his desperate prayer caused him to move his eyes away from the waves and back on to Jesus. Isn't that remarkable? Think about that. That the desperation of our circumstances causes us to refocus back onto Christ once again. Away from himself, away from his own circumstances, and back onto Christ. That is the movement of faith. That's faith at work in that relationship between Peter and Jesus. There's an early 20th century writer, theologian, who's a Chinese pastor, a great writer named Watchman Nee. Watchman Nee. And he says this about faith. He says, faith looks not at what happens to him, uh, you know, small h, but at him whom he believes. Not to to him, not to, to ourselves, not to our own circumstances, but to him. That's what faith does. Faith moves us, even in our desperate prayers, moves us away from the circumstances that are sitting in, our, in front of our faces onto him whom he believes. And so I'm not really big on, on formulas and sort of self-help things, but I, I find a little bit of movement in Peter's response that I think it's worth noting. That when we, even we stalwart, long-time Christians, even those of us that have been in church our whole lives, even those of us that think that maybe faith isn't really, you know, that's for the people that are early in their, in their journey, right? I think we all experience this. Our response of faith is critical in those moments. And through Peter, we kind of learn what happens when he simply cries out. So when we sink, faith is refocusing on Christ our attention now veers towards Jesus once again. We find ourselves then crying out, crying out in faith, Lord, help, save me. And not adding to the, to the list, but just that simple, powerful, Lord, help me, save me. I'm drowning, I'm dying. And then specifically crying out, not for our own solutions, but for Christ's salvation, Christ's salvation. I know a lot of you have some really great testimonies and stories about how you have said you were, you were saved, where you, your life was going one way and God interrupted that pathway and said, here I am, and it transformed you, and you did a 180, and you were new, you were different. God did an amazing transformational work in you. And we talk about those moments as having been saved. But what's interesting in the New Testament, 
there are different tenses used with this word saved. That the Apostle Paul specifically, he talks about how we have been saved. But then he says, he also talks about how we are being saved. And then he also talks about we will be saved. And sometimes we think about God's salvation in such a way where we keep it in the past, in that one moment in 1988 when we responded to a Billy Graham crusade. And we don't understand or see sometimes how God's saving work continues to live itself out in us each and every day, each and every morning, whether we are aware of it or not, God's saving work is active in living itself out in us each and every day. So you don't need to keep the salvation of Jesus in the past. It's here. And then when we find ourselves drowning, crippled by the fear-inducing circumstances of life, we can call out for God's salvation. We can draw upon the salvation of Jesus whose hand pierces the surface of the water and grabs us and like Peter, pulls us up where we then have communion with the Savior. So if you are a long-term Christian or if you're just not sure, you're kind of exploring, let this story speak to you. That you're not called to necessarily have it all together. Remember, walking on water was God's work in Peter to begin with. But be honest if you find yourself sinking. And be honest with God and allow yourself to lament, to cry out and to say, God, save me. And then just like, let God finish that sentence. Let God do the work within you. That's my prayer for you. I'd love to lift up a specific prayer for you. Would you stand? And I'd like to pray for you. And I'm wondering if here this morning, if, if you're maybe feeling a little tug on your heart that you haven't been crying out enough. I just want to create a, a, a free space, a, a safe space for you to just cry out. Even if you don't know what kind of response you'll get. Listen, even if you don't know if God's up there, I just want to offer you a free space just to cry out anyways just to cry out anyways, just, just to see what will happen. Let's pray. So God, we come before you. Some of us enveloped by the waves, the things that life has thrown at us, grabbing all of our attention, filling us with fear. Here we are. Save us, Lord. Save us. Save us, Lord. Let your salvation reach down and grab a hold of us and bring us closer to you. Help us to be honest. Help us to be authentic. 
Lord, put away the spirit of the Pharisee that says that in order to get close to you, we need to have all the right answers. And we need to look a certain way. Lord, put all that away. Let us be real before you and lift up that desperate prayer crying out to you. Let your salvation come. As you leave here, some of you might be facing turbulent waters. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And if you find yourselves distracted by fear, call out, call out. It is the most available prayer to you. Call out, Lord, save me. Go out in faith, go out in trust, go out filled with God's spirit in his name, amen.